covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls podcast with Zach Heilman and Jim Bernier. Oh, we are dancing in the moonlight. And boy, oh boy, are we just going through, finally getting through, that is, one hell of a week. Welcome in, fans of the 50-yard fight for episode 100 of the Inside the Walls podcast. We've made it, ladies and gentlemen. We've hit the three-digit mark on this show, and we are glad to have had you along for the ride, especially this week for uh, what that ride was. Jim, as I bring him in, definitely... I think as as much as we were in the background, just going everything's okay. You know, he's probably still happy to have at least at least me and some guys in a, in the in the other chairs, so we can get through this week. Jim, Jim, how how you doing, man? You 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 just happy that we got some football in for for week five? Yeah, because I, <laughs> I am too. I, that's all I am. I'm just glad we got week five through. You know, you know we're on the other do. side. Uh, yeah, it's a, you know the day in the life of a podcaster covered the National Real League. One day we're taking bullets from outside people, and the next day we're taking bullets with people inside because we're watching these games and agonizing at times, joyful at times. Um, but yeah, it's a constant barrage of emotions, um, rumors, signings, signings. Um, other claims podcasts. waivers now. Yeah, claims waivers and other and other guys from other podcasts that think they got the information first, but we still allowed them to have their time. Like hashtag Phil said it first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's a good week, and it, uh, of course, week five's in the books. Two interesting games, um, especially with the Gunslingers now somewhat pushing, pulling themselves away early in the NAL season. So yes, but we're entering another se- another week, week six, where um, five teams don't play. So it's basically a league by next week besides Orlando and Carolina. So yeah. A lot, a lot of, for, a lot of, for teams that aren't going to be playing to process, you know, mm-hmm. including of course, we'll, we'll chat, you know, the empire have been, of course, I, I maybe haven't heard they've been, they've been the talk of the town lately. That's Ooh. all I'm going to imply. You don't have to. You don't have to give me the extra context. The they Empire. Just, yeah, it's almost like they got they got a lot of fans. It's got a lot of talk around the league about the about these guys in Albany. Well, there there's nothing going on in Albany. There's nothing exciting when teams end up on TMZ, ESPN, ABC. You know, that's nothing big. No, 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 no. no I think it's actually. Uh, <laughs> I think it's actually been pretty chill. <laughs> this week uh no um yeah next week when we talk about games here obviously this is the rebound but when we do game day later this week um it's gonna be pretty lax uh we should i won't we won't spoil any uh thing about it but we will have some uh conversations coming up this week um one of them actually will be catching up um that we couldn't get to last week so i'll say kendrick ings the other we'll uh leave alone uh you you'll we'll tease that later on but uh, all i can say is you'll want to tune in for episode 101 uh, definitely, uh, I think a conversation many of you will want to hear, um, and that many of you are interested to hear is the best I can put it. Um, meanwhile, though, talking back here, week five really just kind of finished up as we're on com- for conversation right now. 
uh, a little bit fresh in our minds for the Sunday game and then the Saturday game. Still, everyone's talking about mm-hmm. the folks up there in the Capital Region, so you're not going to forget any details, obviously. But uh, initial thoughts on these games. I mean, I'll just throw it out there right away. Um, I'm probably going to assume this is the lowest scoring week in the NAL all season. And I didn't even assume we'd have two games where we're lucky that both winning teams hit 40. And like, usually if you, if you have, if you have it, if you have a team hitting 40, you know, that either there was really good defense being played or really both sides were just kind of giving up easy mistakes. It's a unique, this is strange that this sport can do to you sometimes. And we knew what was going to happen in Albany. We knew it was going to be sluggish. We knew it can either go two different ways. It can go um, big-time offensive explosion for West Texas. Albany had, in my opinion, um, dummy. it's not really dumbing down the, the game plan, but mm-hmm. a very basic game plan. Uh, a lot of people that have had conversations with was thinking that Albany was going to do a lot of RPO type of style offense, uh, let it go through the quarterback most most of the time. And down in Fayetteville, San Antonio, they were going back and forth there. San Antonio got some uh, key turnovers early, but it seemed like even with the key turnovers, they couldn't really put Fayetteville away until later in the second half. And I don't know what a lot of people really feel about the Fayetteville game, but I'm a fan of, you know, you know, exciting big plays as a spectator and the person to watch this game. There was a lot of boring moments in this game. I don't know why it just felt like that. And up in Albany, there was very like, like there was drama. It was like building up like, a storybook ending was about to happen in Albany. That's what it felt like. In Albany. For, for Albany, Albany, though, you had you had everyone, I think, in the NAL wanted to tune into this game to see all aspects. Oh, yeah. Again, it's not every day you see an organization throw, essentially, say, sayonara to all of its, pretty much the majority of its star talent, right. and as well as about a third of its roster, and say, okay, have fun. <laughs> We're going to just rebuild this. You know, and again, the return of Manas. So everyone's going to tune in to see Manas back on the sideline. The bulldog he is, you know, when he's talking with players, talking with referees and all that. So that was, I think, if anything, not not score counting wise or whatnot, that was going to be must watch arena football just because that storyline all this week. Um, I'm with you on this on the Fayetteville Gunslingers contest. Uh, I thought it was kind of slower than I was expecting. A lot of stoppages for kind of just weird stuff. Obviously that, that play that was amazing, but that'll never count with the two point conversion. Uh, I mean, freaking hilarious. I loved watching it. I was like, Oh man, did it count? And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, Brown shouldn't have caught Like Brown can't even catch that. And then eventually they turned it over. And it's like, Oh man, I was kind of hoping it would pan out, but like that was fun. So that one, uh, it'll be in 2023 memory. You're not going to forget, but a lot That's- of just, Slow down. A lot of slowdown in this one for some reason. That play is be one of the rare plays that will make ESPN top ten. It should ESPN make not top ten. And not top ten. It'll yeah. be the same one. It'll be in both. I mean, man, this is an awesome play. And oh, by the way, this can never happen because the, the rules are wrong, but still. Um uh, that was unique. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, that's just a you know, the 
day in life of a normal two-point conversion in arena football. You go back <laughs> 27 yards oh, and, man. oh, there's a quarterback is mysteriously back there. And boom, it was like, okay. And I thought when I watched him, like, holy crap, this is epic. I'm like, then they showed the replay. I'm like, yeah, Brown's not supposed to catch the ball. He's not the eligible. Yeah, that, I think that was the cog that killed me was like, you know, if it is like anyone else that was in that receiving core, we might have more of a deeper conversation mm-hmm. that lasts even longer because, you know, I was thinking, I was like, well, he did hand it off, so he didn't yeah. throw it. You know, there was a change of possession. He got it back to the original. Mm-hmm. I guess that would be then the question about is the change of possession then count to where you can throw it and then you get in. Like, that's where the longer conversation comes. I yeah. think Brown being there just kind of ended it real quick. Like, he's a lineman. You can't catch it anyway. Exit here. And, you know, but if we're talking, I guess, uh, other observations this, this week. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say it for sure. Um, I think that, you know, we're looking at defense. Like, I think we're talking about missed opportunities. I think in particular Fayetteville and I want to put Albany in this, even with the turnaround three days, I feel like both those teams missed key opportunities to walk away with victories this week. Mm-hmm. Fayetteville for sure. I'll be honest with you. That was their best defensive game of the season. And they just couldn't get drives going. Like they came back from two scores down and tied it at 27, got it back in their favor. And then there goes a pick six or or goes a fumble ruski for six later on. And I was in that. I was just like, man, they're right there. It just, they felt so out of whack this week for all the offensive production they have for Akeem Cato. It felt so awkward, and I'll give a credit to the gunslingers because this is the typical gunslingers mo. Things might be going awry, but stay calm. Things will work out. You're a talented roster, and sure enough, same thing. Four different wins for all similar reasons. Highly talented roster. Keep a level head. Things will uh, come out in the end the right way they need to be. Well, observate like the one thing I like about observations. It's just like the it's like your sudden like reaction of the weekend and no one's going to give this credit to a lot of people, but tip your hat to Albany and coach Manos. Mm -hmm. He had to put a roster together in 72 hours, get them ready for a football game. And you're telling me it came down to the very last play of the game. I know what a hell of a fight. Well, it's wild. And we might as well just dive into the rest of this analysis of this game because I thought they were going to pull it off when they, when when Young crossed when Young crossed the goal line after Rivers did the pump fake for a nice deep ball, which he tried earlier in the game. That was the thing. You watched Rivers as the game went on. Deep ball couldn't land at first half. Second half, things were starting to click, and right there, it felt like, oh my God, they might just do this. You know, they were getting some of these brand new guys working in the right direction, and they were right there. And I remember talking with Ralph. You might have overheard this while we were discussing the games. You see, again, 41-38 final. And it did end on a quite – it was a really good finish. Like, t- the game was definitely ugly, but the finish was was awesome. Like, if yeah. you were watching that game, it was, it was a fun time for the fourth quarter. Uh, but I'll tell you, we go back to that fourth. I was ta- We were talking to Ralph and Phil on the Discord about this, and you were probably uh-huh. hearing it going, man, tell you what, Albany's got to be feeling decent right now because one thing they've done solid all night – they haven't allowed the deep ball, like one play touchdown possession. They've been doing like chip dinks and dunks. You know, if they can just lean on having to have them go for a Justin Lair field goal and go to OT, maybe they have a chance. 
And sure enough, right after we talked about that, the possession after, here's Daniel Smith winding one back, and Jalen Childress is running around, is running past uh, Daquan Patton for I believe it was about a thirty to thirty-five, forty-yard TD 30, pass, thirty-seven yards. Mm-hmm. And that was like right there. I was like, damn it, man, that that's gonna be the one. And they tried, you know, Patton. I'll give him effort for that final catch. If he turns that corner, he might have it. But they, you know, it's good tackle there. I believe it was Childress actually that came back and got the tackle to end the game. And that's all she wrote. So hell of a finish. Um, you're definitely, well, I mean, for us, it's, for us at least, you know, we're trying to evaluate guys that got either, you know, put lower in the roster because of the talent that was there, or the new kids. Which Daquan Patton, he's the number one receiver right now in Albany. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that dude, hats off to him. I mean, he came out and he played. Like he balled out. Was laying, I mean, Iron Man wise, was doing all he can on defense. Obviously, that one blown coverage will stand out. But I mean, earlier, uh, just a possession prior. He gave his all right into the sidewall for a deflected pass. It could have been easily been a TD. This guy had gritty TD passes that he caught during this contest. You got to give him a lot of credit. I was really impressed with the kid. I think he's going to be getting a lot of action. Same for Young. Those two receivers, those are guys that are early impressions. That's good stuff. Brian Foy, the veteran he was, he had a few good moments on defense. You know, there are some players they did find. Um, Obviously, though, and... Jim, I think you're going to, I'll let you tee this off. Um, those receivers are going to get some help this week, uh, a lot more so. Uh, they'll have a lot better, or not this week, but two weeks from now, they'll have a lot more of a uh, commanding figure uh, behind center, as we have uh, all been learning soon. Oh, you think darkness is your ally? You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. Molded by it. Well, Bane's back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, uh, episode four, Empire Wars, The Rise of Bane, and to the people who listen to our podcast platform, yes, that was Bane from Batman. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk about a vet? Uh, this guy was leading the MVP voting, or led the MPV race until the very end, until he got hurt. Uh, he is a veteran. He's going to sell everything down for the new guys. And, of course, Noah Manasseh will get more addition to players. Um, as Well, you got two weeks to get ready for Jacksonville. Um, it's going to be exciting and unique. This will base, uh, in my opinion, for people who, who are new to the sport, um, there are certain quarterbacks that if they're available on the market, you get, especially in this game. Those names are Arvell Nelson, Jonathan Bain, San Castronova, Mason Espinoza. If he decides to return, he's not going to return. Just say if he was available. <laughs> yes. um, but those are the guys you want to grab because those are the big names. And, of course, the, the legend himself, Tommy Grady, if he decides to play again. Um, but I think he's good in retirement. Um, Bain's that type of individual. Um, Bain will come in. He'll know. He He's played every offense, so it won't take him three or four weeks to get used to an offense. He knows what's going to be there. Um, and you have a guy who can be that captain role, that deep, that veteran that can calm the uh, – not the masses, but calm the frustration for Albany. Uh, there were some things he saw last week that Albany was very limited on. Uh, that That's Rollins – was it Rollins again? 
Uh, Rolling yeah, Rivers. Roll, Rolling Rivers. Uh, c- couldn't do because it was his first game. Bain's different. He already knows a lot of the game plan. He went to Iowa to play in the Barnstormers. Um, we've had conversation for him in the past. He prefers the arena game over the indoor game. Um, he doesn't agree that five people can go in coverage in the indoor game. You only have three receivers. He mm-hmm. thinks that's kind of unfair. Um, but he'll go with the Albany. He has a good coach. And guys like Wade and guys like Young, uh, they will they they will you know their opportunities will escalate. They will have better opportunities. And when you have a quarterback that's been there and done that, who has been in the trenches, who's been in some top matches, Bain will find those guys. Go watch it for the people in Albany who I don't know watch uh, don't know who Bain is. Uh, he's the quarterback that beat you guys three times last year in the regular season, um, but you beat him in the championship game. He had a bad, he had one bad game last year, and it was the championship game. The rest of the year, he was the top quarterback in the league. Um, stat wise, I still think it's a, a, a him, 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 Nelson and Casanova were neck to neck to neck last year in, in, in uh, overall uh, performance. But mm-hmm. Bain was from the people I've talked to, he was leading the MVP voting until he went down with an injury. He, I think he wins MVP if he doesn't go out in a, with an injury in San Antonio. And th- this is the thing, you know, I. I do believe, you know, this helps the league continue to be that competitive every week kind of thing. If anything, Albany fans have to rejoice because I, I'll admit you there's there's definitely items that, you know, we we wish Sam Castro was still in Albany. That's no mm-hmm. secret for us at this show. But the <laughs> to have the guy that that comes in and has been a consistent dominant threat in this league and you're pairing him up with Ben Bennett who has you know I mean we're talking a dude that has plenty of of great history in the NAL and arena in general as an offensive mind that's a wonderful formula to have for again a young receiving core that doesn't really have many veterans I would say on it Donovan Raspberry and Patton just being on the team this year Mm-hmm. it's very limited. That's about it, you know, and raspberry. It's funny. Raspberry only caught two passes this week. Um, Patton and young are going are right now looking like they are the ones that are coming out. Bain obviously is great at distributing the ball. So keep an eye on that. And that means anyone's fair game. There's two weeks in between. They're going to probably sign plenty more players knowing Manas and company. Um, but that's a good addition. So that's, we'll definitely touch more on that. Uh, as we go two weeks from now, but that's on the other side. I actually thought Roland Rivers, like I said, when we talk about this, about the game in general from Saturday, mm-hmm. first half you could tell wasn't fully clicking. Dude loves, love the deep ball, just couldn't get the angles right, couldn't get the touch on the ball. And then second half started getting some things. You know, he did throw three picks, but again, West Texas wasn't really helping themselves either. Actually, if anything, Albany did what, Tom and us was saying is that they were going to be aggressive and the empire did do its part to keep this game within arm's length the entire time on that side of the ball. So there's that. So rivers, I thought, you know, serviceable was kind of surprised that he's let go. But again, I mean, 
I don't think it's any slouch or slight to him. I think that he's, I think Rivers is a guy looking for a new opportunity to get more action in than just Mm -hmm. a game. So I don't know if that's it or what, but they obviously have decisions. Bain being there is good for later on. Um, Jim, what do you think about West Texas though? Cause I, I think that was one of the thing we were talking about was that, you know, West Texas to us thought, I think a lot of us thought they should have gotten this win and that we had them pegged for this win. I just was surprised that it got this close. Maybe, you know, I, I think that was what got, was what got me was the Warbirds, you know, I'm super glad they got this first win, but I'm wondering how this will pan out now for the rest of the season given that the Empire aren't going to be the same team after this week. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the league has definitely made upgrades to where you wonder where the Warbirds will go with this. Trayvon Shorts, I will put out there, definitely is a was an excellent addition. He was impacting everywhere. And that speaks to the talent that gentleman holds even when he was in the Empire, with the Empire. Well, what benefits West Texas is that they get the win. They got the W. Um, they're one and three. They're in the mix or in the muck. Uh, still need to make t-shirts for that. Um, <laughs> you should. Really <laughs> it shorts. He played like a man on the mission this past weekend. He was everywhere um, this past weekend. He single handedly, I can literally say this, he single handedly willed West Texas to win this game. Because he I, had two I big think picks. You weren't wrong. Yeah. Um, he had two big picks. Uh, he had, I think he had two touchdowns. I think. Um, I, uh, maybe one. I may have to get my stats back. That just made me remember one of my one of my uh, my favorite moments from that from that contest is Shorts going to Antonio Brown, oh, handing him, him a football, football yeah. and pretending to take a selfie with him. Yeah. Classic arena beef. I loved it. Every minute of every second of that interaction, I loved. Well, first off, that was clever. But Schwartz has always been that guy for Albany, like Darius. He scored a touchdown, and he ran to the other sideline, handed football to a kid. Mm-hmm. But he handed football to eight. I thought Schwartz was going to, like, a fan that was, you know, always there. And, you know, you, you know, you fans, we you build relationships with players. But when he went to A.B. and I saw that, I started laughing. Like, that, oh, that no. was gold. That was and, gold. And A.B. was smiling like, oh, this is fun. This is cool. Yay. I guarantee A.B. had no idea that it was a arena beef. I guarantee <laughs> he, had, he had no idea what it was. But us arena fans, no. They were like, yeah, this is – he's just – here, take the football. Deuces. Um, but when you look at West Texas side of things, it's uh, uh, Childress again. He is, he is becoming – Kyle Rashad 2.0 for us. Remember, we had no idea who Kyle Rashad was last year, and now he's a household name in our league. Childress is becoming that player for West Texas. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, a, he's had to he's step the, up. He's the shortest player in the league and one of the most dynamic players in the league. Well, and he's had to step up too because, you know, we thought Pegram was going to be the guy, and that, that kind of, at least us, kind of surprised retirement. He's had to take on more of that role as the right. number one option. He was the two. Now he's basically the number one right now, unless West Texas picks up a different, another receiver that they can go lean into. Cause there's not really a, he's really is the guy. There's not too many other options. I've seen Smith really, be comfortable no. with so far. No. Um, but with children, you know, the term eating lit on fire, 
Uh, usually you have to go to the quarterback. Daniel Smith actually played a pretty good game um, for Daniel Smith's standards. Um, but still, it was enough to go into Albany and win a football game. Like, like we said last week in the game day in our super show, find a way to get to the game. Find a way to win. You, This is your chance to beat them now. You may not beat them later. Right. And, they got, and they got the win. And Daniel Smith improved, but one of the guys that really stood out besides on the defensive side of the ball was Kerry Starks. Yes, and he was crucial in the last drive of that game. Exactly. The the play before he gets a sack to basically, you have to make a decision on that because you in I mean you had two passes in that scenario. It was about twelve seconds on the clock. They could have gotten maybe like a, t- a 10, 15 yard to get it closer. Yep. And instead, he gets a sack at midfield, knocks him back about another three yards. I mean that that changes the game on how Ben Bennett had to call a play right there. Yeah. Uh, also in this game, it, I liked how the adjustment happened. When uh, when Albany first like the first two possessions, how Albany was using shotgun for a quarterback, which I wasn't surprised because usually for a young quarterback who doesn't know what he's uh, is entering the game, doesn't know the game plan, or doesn't know the reading style, usually put in the shotgun and get that little re-option type of scenario. It took West Texas about two possessions to know what they were doing, and then when they adjusted, the game got closer. Um, this game, unlike the game in North Carolina, had drama, had intensity, had the ups and downs of a football game. You saw a young star rising and young. Uh, you saw that you're the, 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 the guys in West Texas. You had the former Empire players who play at West Texas stand out. Um, it was a big bag of emotions. Uh, I saw the fan on Twitter, tag Albany, West Texas, and he put Cecil Shorts on, on Cecil Shorts, and then I think he tagged Cornelius Lewis in this tweet, someone else, someone from Albany, and put the Anchorman uh, gif of uh, Will Ferrell that's in the glass case of emotion. And he put <laughs> right. that, because this game reminds me of this right now. And, and I looked at that gif, I'm like, that's a perfect analogy of what that football game was. It was a glass case of emotion. You had fans who want to see Albany lose because it's it's Albany and they've been dominant the last three years. And you got the group of fans who may have picked against Albany but really wants to see that storybook ending. We almost got that storybook ending that would have, you know, capped off the game. Um, would have been, like, uh, been like Moneyball, but exactly. like arena football for a week. Yeah. <laughs> Um, some insider inside the walls type of ordeal. Me, um, Zach, uh, Ralph from the San Antonio uh, Sounds of San Antonio broadcast, and Philip from the Smoking Guns podcast. We were all listening, talking to each other, watching the game, and we all picked West Texas to win this game. And at the very end of the game, we we're like, "Come on, Manas, pull off the storybook ending. Let's, let's switch the tide." Um, but it was a very even with the low-scoring game, it was a very intense um, ending, which give the credit to Manas again. again uh, Minas again. Manas. There you go. Manas. Manamanan. Um, <laughs> look, just, just don't call him Minas and you'll Minas? be good. I've, I've heard that one this week. That no. one, no, no, no. Come on. 
Come on. Uh, Guys. So, uh, so we're going to talk about the Albany Empire and the Albany Empire. Yeah. Um, anyways. Um, I, uh, I'm not going to get into it. I don't want to no, no, touch no. it. Uh, well, here, here. Uh, let me let me put the, put it this way because I think it's funny. I feel I feel bad for some folks in West Texas that maybe they feel like it kind of got overshadowed here. Yes. And, and that's why I do want to reiterate. You know, like Jim said earlier. You know, kudos. They get their first win. I think that's another thing. You know, last week, I think that's all we talked about was Jesus. This 18 point affair they put up against Fayetteville, and mm-hmm. you know, seeing how they came within striking distance to Carolina, it just was like they need need really needed an attaboy, you know, too. And I know that the circumstances to take on a team like that. You know, it still is Tom Minas. He still is going to say and make him play tough. So you got to give co- you know credit to Coach Tate Smith. They came out on top. Smith was uh, very much, I think that's the most animated I've seen him in a game so far. Because yes. um, I think the intensity was definitely there from the crowd, from both sides coming towards the fourth quarter. Some of the calls having to do like reviews. A few of those reviews in the second half definitely had a lot hinging on them. And I think you just had both coaches going, I'm going to get my point across to you at some point. At and, one point, it looked like yeah. the, the arena crew is going to set up a WWE ring or going to have uh, <laughs> two coaches go at it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's Hell in a Cell. <laughs> and Tom and Tate are stuck in there. <laughs> Not the chair. Not, Not the, the chair. chair. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, that that's one thing I liked about this game. It was just up and downs with emotional, like a glass case of emotion from that, that tweet I saw. Um, it was, even though, again, with the low score in this game in Albany had so much more on it because it was the uncertainty from one team. But on the other side in West Texas, we had one major fan in West Texas who uh, pumped it up all week, and he finally he destroyed the Death Star, and that's Top Gunner. <laughs> Um, but I don't care what the the situation is in Albany, how, what's going on on the field or off the field. West Texas did it. They went on the road and got the win. Yeah. Get the wins when you can. Well, they're, and I think they're going to get better too. Again, they picked up two quality empire players. Shorts makes them better. Yeah. Well, shorts is running ability. Again, it he's, they've continued it. and, And I think Smith was smart. You know, he saw what Ware was doing with him this pa- the past year and mm-hmm. a half or so, and they implemented it. You know, yeah. I, I'll admit, later in this contest, I was kind of scratching my head. They got away from it a little. I was like, why aren't they just letting him run the ball more if they can't get the passes to guys? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they still, though, I think that, you know, Short said it best on Facebook after the game. He said, hell of a team win with the new squad. We got stuff to work on, but it's a good, like, pretty much it's a good start. We got stuff to work on. We'll keep building this. And I think that right. that's what they needed. It's a good win. And now we, now you get shorts working alongside Starks. I think that helps take some pressure off Starks as well. Because, I mean, up until shorts joined this week, um, as well as Hollins, I mean, Starks was kind of the guy that you're looking to. Savante Davenport's, of course, in the secondary. But, I mean, really, it's kind of, it's been kind of limited production-wise for that end of the ball. And I think that's something they're looking to really improve moving forward. And then, again, offensive identity, uh-huh. you know, if you get shorts and you can get them consistently running off the side off the side of one of your tackles or, you know, just being shiftier in the running game, you know, that gives a little bit more leeway for Smith to kind of 
just buy well, some time or Smith. get the offense off or the defense that they're playing off balance a little too. Shorts will come will help Daniel Smith improve because you have that safe shield or that reliable guy right there for your running back slash uh, tight end. Um, he Shorts is a vet. He knows what he needs to do. What you don't need to teach him where to go. He already yeah. knows some of these game plans, and also he can go in there in defense because he was that man in Albany. He can go on the boat, uh, play the jack. Uh, that's one thing I, I I look at that backfield of West Texas. They got Starks and they have Shorts, Jack and the Mac. Yes, sign me up. Mm-hmm. That's a core right there, and they did enough to confuse slash frustrate a very inexperienced quarterback and a man an offensive line that was put together quickly too. That too. Yeah. Um, but they did get on, they did go on the road. They did get the win. They're one and three. Every team in this league has a win. Matter of fact, I do have that. The standings. Um, yeah. Let's every, talk about that. Which is first off, which is very odd. Albany is seventh. I would have never thought to see Albany last place. A lot of new stuff with the yes. Empire. It's so awkward. To they're, see they're one and three, uh, plus 25 in point differential, and they're three games back of first place. Um, sixth place is the Warbirds, one and three, minus 59 uh, uh, point differential. They're three games back. Uh, Predators are one and two, negative 61 in point differential, two and a half games back. Then you have the Mustangs and the Sharks, both at tw- uh, two and two. Sharks have the tiebreaker over the Mustangs of the head-to-head. Uh, Sharks are plus 46, two games back, and the Mustangs are plus 24, two games back. Cobra stand alone in the second place at two and one uh, with plus eight point differential. They're a game and a half back. And on top of the mountain after four weeks, Coach Shaw, Arville Nelson, Kyle Rashad of the Gunslingers, 4-0. 17 point differential. So I have a question for you, my friend. Uh, seeing that the Gunslingers won more by two points, does this game count as a win? Uh, wait, sorry. Can you repeat that question? <laughs> oh, you didn't hear me again. Um, seeing that the co- uh, Gunslingers won a game by more than two points, is it safe to say that they deserve to win that game? I because mean, there I are fans. So. There was fans up in Albany. There was fans in Jacksonville. So, oh, they only won by one. That doesn't count. Well, no, they won no, no, by no. seventeen no, today. We, <laughs> we aren't playing that game. No, they they deserve that. Again, we've talked about it in kind of the in kind of the first initial thoughts, and we'll jump into this game in Fayetteville, North Carolina, right now. Uh, again, final score for that is the Gunslingers. That's the storyline, as you see on the tagline. If you're watching on video, Gunslingers eventually pull away later in the fourth quarter, win a game, a defensive battle. Again, defensive battles this week. I expected one of them to be that way. I was shocked when this one turned out this way. 40-27 to victory again for the Gunslingers coming out on top at the Crown Coliseum. And, you know, I think that that narrative, like, you win by a, by a few points. The, the point differential doesn't matter. You know what matters is the win-loss column. And, and again, we talk about it. loss yes. Yeah, the win-loss column is what matters. Um Fred Shaw, Jeremy Richardson, that whole staff has done an excellent job with veteran quality talent that's been brought in. The Gunslingers brought in a hell of a roster and have kept that up mm-hmm. to where, you know, there's a reason they're here. I mean, again, they keep calm. These are good veterans. They stay collected. They know that it's a four-quarter game. Arena's hectic. You can make backup possessions. You can make backup points if you're good enough and you stick to the grindstone. And that's just how the Gunslingers have been playing it this year. You know, 
things get down and out, they stick to it. They find opportunities. They capitalize. They get back in the driver's seat. And this is another one I think maybe not as much so with trying to come from behind, but, you know, Fayetteville made it tough in the third quarter. You know, they caught, they brought two possessions back on them to where you had to, the next drive, Gunslingers had to say, okay, we need to respond. Do we get a response? They get a response. Then they respond on defense, shut down Fayetteville the rest of this contest. That's most of all she wrote. And that was, in an, this is all things considered, you know, both sides, really good defensive efforts. Fayetteville, their best defensive effort of the season by far, mm-hmm. without a doubt. I was actually impressed at how well they were keeping the gunslingers at bay most of this game. It's just offensively is what surprised me. You know, a lot of weird mistakes, a lot of weird miscues, uh, drives getting shut down that I wouldn't have seen in the last three contests. Um, credit the gunslingers for having such a defensive unit put together, but I felt a lot of mistakes actually hinged on some quarterback to receiver, some quarterback center exchanges, some quarterback play. Um, there were some drop passes that I was shocked to see from some veteran receivers on that roster. And the other part that killed me, apparently snaps for extra points were starting to become a problem at some point. It was just like, for some reason, disjointed across the board, you know, you almost hear me talk about this and you almost think, damn, they're lucky to even got 27 on San Antonio this week or to even be tied at one point in the third quarter to where they could have been possibly getting a possession ahead if they stopped them. That's what was shocking me. You know, Fayetteville's defense came to play. New additions have come to play. They have adjusted well, but you still have to play the whole game on the other side of the ball correctly. You know, put it all together. Every phase has to work in junction at Do some they? point. Do they really? I mean, they should. <laughs> if you want to be a if you want to be a competent playoff team, you should. I mean, look, right now that was as much as we knew that could have been a loss. I mean, we'll see in next week with Orlando. But you know, Orlando again, they got that nice win against Jacksonville. They don't look like such a pushover anymore. The point differential points it out, but that's from one beat down against the Empire with a brand new quarterback they're not going to be a pushover and you got them nipping at the back, you know, now you got West Texas. Yeah. We just talked about how West Texas had a few moments where we were worrying there, but they got to win now. I mean, you have a team don't take ups, don't take slip ups. You know, it's a pretty tight knit group. And now the empire are going to get Jonathan Bain. Sure. They play Jacksonville in two weeks, but there's a whole season left, like a whole half a year that you, you can recover wins on. It's not going to be an easy fight. You got to take them where you can. And especially a contest like this, where it felt like they were there. They had shots to be there and get walk from North Fayetteville with an upset. That's got to sting for coach Gunning's group. Yes, it does. Um, but that's what the glory is of the muck, man. That that's is, the that is definition true. of the muck. Uh yeah, now there's one and a half games that separate the uh, from number two to number seven. So, uh, if you want parity in this league, you you got parity right now in this league. Uh, this game, um, there are two players I like. Well, actually, three players that I want to uh, four players actually to uh, now. Sorry, I went from two to four. Uh, <laughs> Fayetteville side, I want to say Kendrick Ings is still the man. Um, the offense goes through Kendrick Ings. The kickoff return early in the uh, in the first half was critical, crucial in the game. He made some big plays throughout the game when he when Cato needed a guy, Ings was there to get it. So of course Kendrick Ings is a man to um, we say man with a plan. No, not really. Uh, just <laughs> he was there. 
Um, on San Antonio's side, uh, again, Kyle Rashad uh, made some plays, but I have to give it to the defensive side with Chandler, 21. He got a big key interception earlier earlier in the game that flipped uh, flipped the uh, you can say tilt the game to the side of the Gunslingers. Um, position group defense for Gunslingers they made crucial stops um, in the early late first half uh, against Fayetteville and made a big goal line stand in the fourth quarter that really solidified the victory for them. Um, that was a um, big, big moment in time. Also, um, we can finally say this, ladies and gentlemen, um, stats can prove this. Um, Arvell Nelson um, has now gone one game without throwing an interception. It keeps <laughs> up. I'm telling you. Eight picks. Is, he had eight touchdowns today, too. So eight, eight for zero. That's a good ratio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So shout out to Arvell Nelson. Like, he, he went out there and showed out. Um, but one of the things that I want to get on this game is Cato wasn't Cato. No. The last three games, Cato was balling out. Of course, the first loss to the Sharks, uh, he didn't play the second half. But it started early for Cato. He threw a fade route uh, to the left side of the field. Uh, apparently, I think I think he was throwing the uh, long or Lance, and he just faded it and – the receiver did like a five-yard cut, except for going a, a fade, and Chandler was there for the interception. He was hanging a lot of his footballs today, and it reminded me. You mentioned this in the pre-show. It reminded us of Cato from Orlando, like he he had a little regression in this game. Yeah, he and, took a step back. It was so awkward to see. You know, I mm-hmm. I was almost rooting like I was almost rooting in a sense like, hey, I know this is this is there. The last three weeks, I know you're better than this. Like, click it back in and yeah, couldn't get it done. You know, and I think, again, not just him. There were a few times on drives I was like, I saw Trey Long drop, or sorry, I saw, you know, Trey Long drop a pa- drop like passes right right in between the in the fingers. I saw Kendrin, Kendrick Ings dropping passes like that, you know. And it, it was like a few of those things stuck out. But mm-hmm. Cato, it felt like, was a kind of the main catalyst on a few, on a lot of the offensive woes held back what could have been a potential, maybe not an upset effort, but like it felt like it wouldn't have been died out with a whimper in the fourth quarter the way it did. Well, it, it would have been, it would have been an upset kind of, but if they would have won, they would be first place right now in the standings. And yeah, it usually you want your best players to play their best game against the, the better teams or the best teams. And they're going to have a lot of people in this league. They're going to question the Fayetteville. Uh, you guys dominate two lesser opponents, and you struggle against the two two better opponents. What type of team are you? Um, again, in the preseason, me and you thought they were what sixth, seventh, in between them and West Texas are going to be back and forth. Yeah. So right now they're fourth. They're two and two. They have ten games left in the regular season, and. They got a bye week coming up, and then after that, I think they play Carolina to start the at Carolina mm-hmm. when they return. You have time to, you know, decompress, get back to film, watch what you what things you did, get some rest, of course, first. Um, you know, watch and film, see where you made the mistakes at. And the mistakes were, at the time in the game, were pivotal. But looking back at the game, uh, I think a lot of it was due to what we saw 
We didn't see Cato from last week in this game. We saw Cato from Orlando days where he was rushing the ball, uh, putting too much air in the ball, and thinking, running out of the pocket, think he's being blitzed, and he has a nice pocket. That was the Cato that we saw last week. Um, also, I don't know if – I think it could be the AC was on too high because Kyle Rashad, Philip Barnett, Long, Lance, Kendrick Ings, they were all, everyone was dropping footballs today. Um, turn down the AC. You know, you can keep it cold, but don't have max air. You know, we'll have to we'll have to talk to the production guy over there, uh, Matt Wolf. We'll have to ask um, him if if that was a little hot in the building. Um, I don't know. That was just you know the the receivers couldn't like Kyle Rashad dropped three consecutive passes. You don't yeah, that, see that. See, that's a little weird. Like he's pretty automatic for a throw mm-hmm. almost all the time. And credit, I mean. Still, when he, as usual, he gets the ball in his hands. I mean, for a small guy, like, you know, we've, we've been told about some of his off season workouts he's had. I'm more and more watching when I, when I'm, when they're playing and I'm like, yeah, look, like he'll get hit and he'll bounce off guys for his size. Right. Like different than last year. I mean, last year, not saying he was a slouch, but like, yeah, he was a typical small guy this year. I, I fully expect him. He breaks a tackle every time he gets the ball because he, he just fights for it a little harder now. He's dynamic. Yeah, he's 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 living he's living up to the hype that we put. Well, not us, but what he I guarantee what he does and what his family does put pressure on him being the best you can be. Um, no, it's not an army commercial, but still, um, <laughs> <laughs> getting that Fort Bragg spirit. I see. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he dropped a couple passes like that's not Kyler Rashad. Uh, also, even the special team side of San Antonio was. Yeah, they made some decent returns, but it wasn't like an old my return. Fayetteville was the one that was doing the, you know, kickoff returns back for touchdowns. But one thing about San Antonio um, could have been the deciding factor in this game is uh, Drew Pearson's. Again, like the final score is 40-27. Six of those points were deuces. But Maya got a deuce. There's deuces being made in the, in the NAL game. Like, oh, yeah. my God, here we go. Um, but overall, this game was unlike the one in Albany. These are both two low scoring games, but the drama in Albany was there. There, it wasn't there in all in, in San in Fayetteville. No. There was moments in the game that you know, there were could have been, you know, oh, here build up a build, but never got to it. But the big stop that Fayetteville got in the end of the first half that didn't stop San Antonio for scoring, they kept this game pretty close. Um, that was crucial, but then the second half, Fayetteville did not get that stop, and uh, San Antonio scored, and then San Antonio made that big goal line stand at the end of the game. Um, but when we look at when you look at this game, I just look at Arvell Nelson's stats: eight touchdowns, zero picks. If he's eight touchdowns by a quarterback passing, that's incredible especially against a team like Fable that has an offensive power that we know because we've seen it. We thought this was going to be one of those 65, 72 type of games and never even got there. I, <laughs> but when the play yeah. needs to be – when the play that needed to be done, Arvell was making the play. Cato was not. And that was a determining factor in this game. Arvell, four weeks into the season, the five weeks into the season, is clear cut in my opinion – this may take off a lot of people. He's clear cut, in my opinion, the offensive player of the year, because how he's been playing. Probably MVP. 
Well, but I mean, usually yeah. MVPs usually go to the best teams in the league at mm-hmm. the end of the year. But yeah, this is only week five. It's way too early to talk about rewards. It is early. I mean, you you got to put them in the conversation again. When you all you have four tu- you have four throwing touch you have four touchdowns you throw for two that you run in mm-hmm. yourself. He's a dynamic. He's a dynamic, multifaceted player. Um, I think a little bit more too. You know, and credit. We'll see. You know, I think. I think a lot hinges on kind of Sam Castronova continuing some of his stuff when he goes over to Jacksonville. Um, And I think you also are going to see a few more candidates in other markets, I think too, that I think step up, but at least for Nelson right now, he's in the driver's seat for that early. Um, I think Connor Blount, if we don't have to worry about a long-term IR position, we still hold that regard. But I think right now Nelson definitely holds that spot. And I mean, again, the gunslingers it's, an all around very well-built roster. Um, it's the most balanced roster in the NAL. Uh, there's reasons why, again, there's reasons why they're four and zero. they did a great job constructing this. And I will say it's been awesome stuff. I will talking about the kicking game. You brought this up and this made me think about it because I know Drew Pearson can hit to the net and he's consistently not been this year, which makes me think that, and I want to ask this when we get the chance, um, if we do get that chance, of course, is he intentionally kicking it short? Because I, I feel like he's, I know he can hit a deuce and I, I've been rarely seeing him get back to the goal to the back end zone this year. Like it feels like a lot of them have been pooch kicks. Maybe I'm crazy, but it feels like they're doing pooch kicks over in San Antonio this season, which is a strategy because I mean, if you can get back there and just stop them short of the 10 yard line, you mm-hmm. are saving on yards, but I've just been, I've been noticing that. I'm like, even Omaya this week hitting a deuce. I'm like, Okay, something's up. Pearson, I know, can hit these kicks because Amaya wasn't hitting them at the beginning of the season, and now he's hitting them. Mm-hmm. How's Pearson not hitting them? You know, and I'm only asking because again, that's points that you're leaving off the board for someone I know that can hit those kicks and get deuces on kickoffs. So I, I got a question. I'm hoping someone I, has the answer. <laughs> I think this strategy for a lot of these kickers, I think uh, from the coaches, I think they're trying to tell the kicker to kick underneath the the bar, the net, but above the wall. Like right in there, I mean, like it stops so you from no, returning exactly. But it's not like the old uh, AFL days where the kickers were kicking it the football, you know, fifty feet up in the air and let the ball roll down. Yeah, it's it's we know what True Pearsons has done. Maya, we question how he can even get to the nets, and today he was getting to the nets, got himself a deuce. So. He almost I, had two. There was another one that sunk just below the bar. Yeah, where I was well, like, I thought oh, that crap, was he it. can get back there. You know, yeah, I, when he kicked that, like, oh, that's a deuce. And there the guy's like, oh, it's just low. I'm like, oh, okay. Right, that's the point. But again, the kicking game wasn't really a major issue, but I am going to steal something that a colleague of ours is. So I'll have to put it on the bomb because he did say this first because uh, he talked to Drew Pearson. He, uh, <laughs> uh, good, good one. Uh, Drew Pearson, uh, said that uh, when he's not kicking deuces, he's dropping deuces. <laughs> when, Phil, when Phil said it's like, I got to use this in my next show. I got to win or loss with San Antonio. I got to wow. drop that. No, no pun intended, but I had to do it. We all th- look, we all think about it, okay? You you use a word like deuce in a sport. Everyone at some point, if they're new to the sport, or if, even if you're a veteran following the NAL, you're still mm-hmm. you still chuckle when you hear that over a broadcast, an announcer saying it's a deuce, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's funny. And then I go back to watching the <laughs> watching the broadcast because I'm just like, 
you know, it's, it's, it's our little inside joke, even though it's pretty much right in front of you. <laughs> but to close out the coverage of this game, um, San Antonio is 4-0. You're on top of the mountain. For San Antonio fans, look at last year's Carolina team. They were 4-0. All, they just, you know, beat the team that was right next to them. Uh, at that time, was Albany. And consistency. Build consistency. They got West Texas coming up next after their bye week at West Texas. So they got two weeks. So that benefits them. You get two weeks of preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, for San Antonio fans, you're 4-0. You'd rather be 4-0 right now than 1-3. You want teams to catch you. You don't want to try to catch, catch a team. Vice versa. Um, again, they're healthy. They're going on all cylinders. Arvell Nelson's playing damn good football. Kylie Rashad's besides today, you know, mishandling a couple of footballs. He's really good. Other guys that need shout outs is uh Alexander, um, Cody Brooks, Chandler, um, Philip Barnett, all the stars in Albany, uh, all the stars in San Antonio that need to shine in a, any football game that the Gunslingers play to win the football game. Those per, those players were mentioned. When you hear their names, they're usually doing well. Um, yeah. And um, especially for Fayetteville side, you didn't hear a lot of, you know, Trey Long or Lance or James Summers. It was just Ings and Cato. And basically that was it. But you, you heard everybody from San Antonio. And that's usually when you see a key sign um, in the organization. But a concern that I have for Fayetteville is I, I think the, the coach, Coach Gunnings, may know this, um, but I think other opposing teams know it now. Um, their offensive line, they have issues in their offensive line. Um, they couldn't hold their own against San Antonio's uh, front three or front five late in that second half. It, it looked very similar to what Jacksonville was doing to them a couple of weeks ago. And then Fayetteville, um, I think they play when they come back from bye week. I'm not 100% sure. I think they play Carolina, who has a very big offense slash defensive line. Yeah, we get to start um, that. We get to start that new series over yeah, the in the Carolina Crown Coliseum. Yeah. yeah, right down and the road. It, you yeah. know. It, it's that's an issue I see that's going to hinder um, Fayetteville. But of course, Fayetteville's two and two right now. And if the glorious playoffs started today, they are granted the winners of the muck as the four seed. Um, and, and your reward would be the one seed San Antonio, and we've already seen that game. <laughs> um, it it's early in the season still; it's only four weeks. For a lot of teams, only all, a lot of teams play four games. There's still three, and some play three. Um, there's still 11 weeks left in the regular seat. No, week four. No, I'm doing. I'm at 13 weeks left. 12 weeks left of uh, the regular season. Um, a lot of football to be played. A lot of things that need to make uh, need to be fixed. San Antonio, stay consistent and try to rewrite your own story. Don't follow the same story like Carolina did. And for Fayetteville, make some key pieces of changes because it happens. You can change a roster pretty quickly. Just ask the Albany Empire uh, how fast you can change it um, for good or for the worse. Um, overall, week five was, again, drama-filled, anticlimactic at times. Um, had everything. It had dullness and excitement. It had drama. It had entertainment. Um, it had technical malfunctions, buffering issues, 
um, mic issues. It was everything like an NAL game week is full of. So, yeah. Anyway, stuff. Um, <laughs> there are other things that we, we about four minutes left in the episode. We're not going to take, be here long. Only two games to break down mm-hmm. because our, uh, because our game day episode is going to be a little longer than usual because we only have one game, but we're going to try and get two guests on the show to fill up the, the one of them. You already know Kendrick Kings and another guy we're trying to get, trying to convince. Uh, we'll announce it and might have the fans involved in it a little bit um, if everything goes through. But I'll talk about we've we've had people mention this. And we're in once more for a bit of an update on some of your NAL teams and really some of where some of the biggest stars in the NAL are going after the massive uh, exodus from Albany, New York. Um, We have some clarity as of, uh, well, a little bit later in our recording sessions. We had to bring this up. Felt it would be good to kind of clarify some big signings. Some of the Preds have already dropped. Others that have been announced but will make their rounds on social soon enough rather than later. Uh, Jim, you might, I'll let you jump in and get, kick this off. Cause I mean, you've been getting a lot more of the calls of course than I have, but I mean, yeah. um, we already know about Castronova. We already know about shorts and Hollins because they played this week, uh, in Albany. Um, where are some of these other guys going though? I think a lot of people want to know where Prince is going. You might see on the bar, but I mean, still might as well chat about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, gotta give credit to Abby up there in Albany time. She broke it first. Uh, basically I got the phone call right after she already reported it. So I was mad at her, but gave her credit cause she's the one that broke it first. Um, the report that she gave me ankled what I got for confirmation from uh, my sources is that Darius Prince, Brandon Cisse, Nick Hag, and, um, are heading to Orlando. I'm forgetting the other one, uh, Dwayne Hollis. There we go. Um, going to Orlando and Markel Quaid going to the Jacksonville Sharks. So the exodus, as you mentioned from Albany is complete. Uh, all those players have found homes and other teams uh, in the NAL. Um, but, of course, the big one that's supposed to drop was Dar- uh, Darius Prince. But when this shows out, I guarantee it's already been dropped by now. Um, but everything, all the other players are confirmed by the Orlando Predators. So uh, the Orlando Predators, in my opinion, um, have um, escalated their game from in the muck to probably a top four team. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing a – a clutter top half with Jacksonville and San Antonio mixed with Orlando in there and uh, possibly on Albany. If they find some key additions, there could be another drop there pretty soon as well. Um, but yeah, uh, we expect this in the NAL with trades and free agency signings, no matter what time, what era. Um, it's not a shock that it happens. We've seen this before in different years. Same with Orlando a couple of years ago with Joe Hillis and a couple of additions. So it happens, and I guarantee it, the fun's not going to stop um, for the next couple of weeks, especially in Jacksonville. Um, there will be some other signings in Jacksonville and later in the year. Um, but, again, it's NAL, and you have no idea what's going to happen next week. We thought this was going to be a quiet Monday, quiet Tuesday, and I didn't expect everything to start going down um, this morning when I was getting text messages and calls uh, from these uh, individuals. Um, coaches and from uh, league uh, sources, um, but yes, uh, it's big news. Um, a magnificent, massive shift in uh, 
you can say in competition wise now it's called the empire south i've heard people call now from orlando um but for me, honestly, I'm happy because now I think the three teams that can host a championship game are all one singular flight away from me. Don't have to, you know, go to Charlotte or Atlanta. I can actually take one flight or drive to two of the locations. So, um, yeah, so it's going to be pretty entertaining. And Orlando needs it. They're a fan base that is desperately to need it, uh, especially since the NAL. And since they've joined the NAL, they've been 10 and 27 overall. So with all these big additions, will help change the narrative and help change the tradition there in Orlando to what we know who they are from back in the, you know, old AFL days in the nineties and the two and the two thousands where they were multiple time champions and playoff contenders every single year. It's going to be nice to see Orlando back in the fold and the playoff conversation in this league. See, that's my angle is that, you know, I think for the Preds, you know, you get this, you get two, you get this uh, two weeks or roughly a week ago when, that's a surprise around the league to get in Jacksonville. You walk away, get get one on the scoreboard for you. That helps you kind of get some momentum possibly. And then now you have, you know, you have Damon Ware who goes over there, you know, unfortunate situation being let go the way that it went along with all those players. But he brings about a little over half of that let go roster go over to Orlando now. And Herky Walls, you know, he's coming off probably the biggest win of his coaching career at least in the NAL, and he gets to now have a massive just bunch of reinforcements, shot in the arm, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's not, that not only does that help a young coach, that helps a young quarterback like Joseph Hess, who, again, best game of his NAL career that he's had. I mean, I know it's only been a short stint. Obviously, it, the difference between Albany and Jacksonville was uh, outstanding for what they were able to do. And now you get arguably i know that you i know you and i have had this conversation off air you arguably get the best receiver in the game now on your roster you get one of the best db or actually one of the best db receiver iron men on the roster because wallace plays two ways uh you get one of the best one of if not the best linebacker in the biz right now uh in nick hag and then brandon cisse who's been one of the tops at the at both sides of the line since he's been playing in any level of arena uh over his long tenure so they get a massive veteran influx of guys that are proven winners at positions that I think either they can upgrade at or they've been needing assistance with. I mean, honestly, you know, and th this is another one that got reported. We don't even, we didn't mention either Brandon Fuentes. This is a weird story. He was, he made this massive talk, massive post about being let go from Orlando and that he was on the comeback trail. You know, injury was still lingering from last year. It sounded like, and that he was released and the Preds just announced he was re-signed. So they just got back an all-NAL player as well. I mean, that's a that's a lot of talent. Um, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people still will sit here and go, Joseph Hess, you know, got to keep building on those good wins. But, I mean, you can't ask for a better supporting cast around a QB like that and a brand-new head coach than you could have gotten with all of this right now. I mean... Jesus, I mean, that. I, I think the big debate here for you and me, Jim, is how far do the Preds go with all of this new influx? They go as far as their quarterback, in my opinion. Joseph Hess needs to keep continuing to prove and keep getting better. Uh, what's going to, in my opinion, that what's going to hinder them is uh, there's a lot of chatter outside around the league, outside Orlando, saying congratulations on getting these additions of players, but these are also the same addition players that lost to Carolina and lost to San Antonio. 
Um, so they could be losing a step. Um, that's just a chatter outside of Orlando, but sure. it comes down to the Orlando play. You look around the league, Jacksonville upgraded their quarterback position as well. Got a solid receiver addition to you look over in San Antonio, Arvell is playing MVP style uh, caliber of football. You look in a Fayetteville, they have Cato who is dynamic, had a little rough weekend, but he's good. Um, Malik Henry showing styles and you got Bain returning in Albany. So if Hess keeps improving and gets better and becomes probably, let's say, give or take, if he can perform up to probably a Malik Henry type of quarterback in this league, they will be a very dangerous squad in Orlando. Um, but yeah, it comes down to or it comes down to the quarterback play, of course. But how Orlando's operating right now, uh, just have basically needs to perform, or they're going to find someone else because that's the arena game. Teams are very quick to pull the trigger on getting someone in there uh, mm-hmm. to play. And there's still a lot of good big-time free agents uh, with arena experience out there right now that could find their way back to Orlando as home or or find their way down, not back, find their way home um, to the NAL, to the arena game, into Orlando. So, yes, quarterback play is key, in my opinion, for how far Orlando can go. Without a doubt. Uh, again, one two-game sample is pretty slim. I think we'll get – I think the ideal test this week in terms of another follow-up will be in Carolina for the Predators. Um, I am fascinated. I assume they'll be, you'll, with it being early in the week and given that they were released, I expect mo- pretty much most, if not all, these guys will have already made it to Orlando to try and get in rotation uh, for that contest, which, I mean, it's a big deal because Carolina is comfortably, I won't, well, maybe not comfortably, but at least they got to be feeling really good. They got a home game and you know, get one under your belt, you get to have a nice uh, three and one record to yourself. You know, Orlando gets a win, things get more complicated all over the board. Um, so we'll be watching out for that. I think one for yourself, you should speak on. And this is, this is one I think that's good for the supporting staff with Sam Castronova, of course, but uh, Markel Wade heading to Jacksonville as well. Really, really one of the top contributors for the empire. I think one of the more unsung heroes of the empire in recent, in last year's campaign for champ for championship. And uh, he gets to go be a contributor on what has been one of the more explosive offenses should be even should be still as explosive with Sam being there uh, come two weeks from now. Oh, of course. It's a familiar name, a familiar player, Bill chemistry up in Albany and comes down to Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville is very secretly having a very underrated receiving core with Solomon, Jordan Smith, uh, with Jensen and now Wade, and possibly a, another name in the future that's very anonymous for the city of Jacksonville. Um, Jacksonville is very secretly having a good receiving staff. And and one thing I want to uh, you know tell people in Jacksonville and with people in the free agency with the big news out in Orlando, Jacksonville probably has the best offensive line in football. And Castronova has played behind offensive lines that made him run for his life. I don't think he's going to be doing that a lot in Jacksonville. But, yes, Wade's a great addition and helped the chemistry in Jacksonville, especially with his receivers. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a, I like the addition that he did. And, plus, he's an lethal weapon. He had a big-time game last week or a couple of weeks ago, and he was big last year for Sam Castro. So it's a go-to for Sam Castronova. Yeah. It's good to be good setup for him, I think, in having – a line that we were talking about with Connor Blount just was consistently getting, you know, at least one and a half, two yard gap every time you'd be sitting back and throwing. And we know that Sam, if he can't find a target, I mean, he's got the wheels even more so than Connor, which is a statement in itself to 
make and wreak havoc as needed in the second levels of the defense. So very versatile weapon. Wade is a great contributor, also a good return man. So that'll be that'll be one I think we'll be watching for is because uh, it's been, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because it's, it's kind of short notice and I'm still groggy as we're doing this uh, update. But I mean, Stoshak's been the one returning kicks for Jacksonville, I thought. I had myself muted. Solomon, Cameron Solomon's have been okay. returning kicks as well. No, that's what I get. That's what I get for doing a last minute. Rookie, you're a rookie. You don't I know. know. I am, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm going to have people ripping me for that one. I'll take that. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, in that case, you still stick with Solomon. But, you know, Wade does have that return ability. Um, he's also played Iron Man. So you get another Iron Man rotational guy that can play two ways if needed. Um, but, yeah, adds into that depth as, as well, too, um, for all things considered. And I think the other bit that Abby revealed that to me is the is he is the most shocking move of them all um as of today is the reappearance of Mike Corda as an NAL owner um he is heading to Orlando um they, he's going to be a minority owner with the Preds uh that includes Nate Starling and John Chaney and if you know the relationship between Starling and Corda then you shouldn't be totally surprised because that that is a pair that has worked together and Starling has helped the empire and helped start up with, you know, him, Tradico and company with the empire in years past. Um, just things have shifted as they've moved ownerships and business opportunities. But it's, it's amazing because I, I, you and I were suspecting that he might not be done, but I didn't think it would be this quickly that he would jump back into the game. All things considered same season that he sold his ownership stake from Albany and credit it was it was more of just an exchange of power nothing crazy like that from the sound sounds of it but you know to go and be back i mean i mean orlando it's it really does like you're talking it does feel like the empire just moved down south and now the preds are just kind of taking up the reins of that old albany uh i would say albany talent and i think grit well, you know, the good saying is, is that New Yorkers live in New York until they get sick of New York and they move down south to the state of Florida uh, as they get older. Uh, no, but we we thought Corda was going to be associated with NAL or arena football after the Albany days. Uh, that was just our assumption. We didn't have no sources or connections. We just have a feeling that he was going to be around. But we didn't expect it to be this fast. Uh, we expect, you know, an off season and next year you pop up somewhere, maybe an expansion team or even Orlando. But one thing that, uh, that no one, basically people that are following this league don't understand is that Orlando and Albany have great relationships, uh, the organizations, the ownership group. So there was a re relationship between the two organizations. So it's nothing really new between these two. Um, uh, you have the, the Mike Corda, then you have Nate Sterling, their buddy, buddy, everything down Orlando's. Um, it's based as like, hey, come down here. We know you still love this game. And we've been working together for a couple of years now. It's just like a comeback friendship type of ordeal down in Orlando. Um, again, um, what's done me about this is that it's been two weeks. I would have thought it would have been a whole off season before something like that really happened for quarter to move, but well, uh, it doesn't I mean, surprise yeah. me. He's still in the game. He loved, he's like from a person that I've seen in a lot of his video, uh, a lot of the videos he's been in for with the Albany empire and all the conversations I've heard him from being uh, by the reporters and the news up there in Albany, the guy's passionate for the game. And that's what we need. We need guys who love the game, uh, owner, player, coach, whatever. You, you can't be away from the game. If you have that much passion. 
I mean, he, we know he loves the game. Um, and I think that, you know, circumstances in Albany, you know, I don't think he's gone if things did, if things don't go the way they do, but, you know, we are glad that, you know, you still see the empire here and Quarta still gets to go and is part of at least other ownership groups in the NAL. So, um, I think what's fascinating in this case, though, is that, you know, my, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong for my member, he's, he's on the, he was on the board. That's not possible really, right? Or at least I don't think he would, I don't know if that would work that way anymore or not. We'll have to get clarification on that. I have but, to get clarification, you for know, it, but, but I know he was on the board. Yeah. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. So that was what I was saying is like, where does that, I, minority owners, what I'm saying, you know, usually you see the majority owners try and, or more the execs of the league, but I digress. Um, we'll see how that plays out. But again, fascinating quarters back in the game. Um, that really, if anything, it strengthens the empire ownership group even more so, or sorry, the Orlando ownership group. You see how I did that there? I'm telling you, it's all starting to meld down in Orlando to feel like the empire reborn. <laughs> I mean, even where I like, get yeah, where you get quarter, I'm telling you, but it, it, it does strengthen that owner, that ownership group over there though. How dare you? <laughs> You got me ready for that one too. <laughs> I like how you were queuing me up to have that one. Hit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, uh, it, it's a, like we said before, past episodes and in in, in the years that we've covered this league, the ups and downs, the transactions, the change always happens, and it's just interesting that it happened so quick in this in this case. Um, but again, the dude from what I've known uh, is very passionate for the game, and you can't keep a guy away from a sport that he has passion about. So, Orlando, I think, has a uh, a minor owner that cares, and Orlando is going to be very competitive uh, with these guys. And I think because of all this moves, uh, there is already an automatically rival between Orlando and Albany now. There's there's Albany's rival officially is Orlando. Uh, a lot of Albany fans feel like they've been portrayed by these guys, um, but over what happened to circumstances in the past, the past. Now, if we're if Orlando, get a winning record, be competitive, and let's let's create that North and uh, New York versus uh, Albany type of rivalry, uh, New York versus Orlando type of rivalry, Florida versus New York, so on and so forth. Um, that would be entertaining for just uh, for the fans, but also the players. Um, it, it builds drama. Like we had last week um, up in Albany with our game mm-hmm. that had drama. More drama means more eyes on TV sets or YouTube screens, and more drama means more butts in the in a stadium. So, and Orlando's a fan base has been desperate for a winner uh, for many years, um, and they have a great fan support. And I think this just increases the value of the team and it increases them to getting more fans in the stands where they could be touching seven to eight thousand a game, which is a uh, a perfect size for a beautiful arena that is Amway. Yeah. Funny, I I look more and more with that, for example, with that ownership of change, um, Albany's reach is all over the uh, NAL. Think about that. Corda is now part of the Orlando Predators. You know, Starling obviously was with, obviously was met, was with the Empire as kind of a smidgen of an ownership there too. Um, you've got two Albany local businessmen in Polly Walnuts and John Kane that are part of the Cobras at this point. Kane was at one point with the Empire ownership at one point. Uh Capital Region getting a getting its uh, branches everywhere <laughs> in this league. <laughs> 
of course. You got players in West Texas. You have coaches in South uh, in San Antonio. You have owners in Carolina. You have players in both Jacksonville and Orlando. So yeah, they're touching everything. I think Fayetteville is the only one, honestly, that doesn't have anybody that from recent. Uh, all, they could have a signing here or there. Oh, yeah, because you got gunslingers have Arthur Hobbs over there as well, and Calvin Fance. Um, and then yeah, basically the other teams just got recent pickups or had folks that were on previous championship rosters. So Fayetteville, yeah, Fayetteville's the only one I could think of that hasn't had someone that has been on an empire roster in the last two seasons, two plus seasons. So kind of fascinating stuff shows you the amount of talent that you see Menos bring in. I mean, and we're not, we know he ain't done, you know, Bane's in, um, we're not going to say anything, but you've been hinting to me that, you know, there's other stuff coming, which I'm not shocked. There's, they have two weeks to get ready. Knowing Tom and us, it's recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. There's going to be consistent flow of people. He's going to make calls with him and his agent. So, and he said that at the press conference too. They're going to basically be doing their stick, their shtick as usual, but in a much more accelerated timeline than usual. He said that in the press conference. He said that to us on our show that just get him through this first week, get his guys in for the second week, and get two weeks of practice to prepare for a showdown against uh, the Jacksonville Sharks. Now that's becoming a marquee quarterback battle between Jonathan Bain and Sam Castronova pretty odd that it'll be two players playing on opposite teams because yeah. uh, ja- uh, Bain is notoriously known as a Jacksonville Shark in his past and as Castronova is a, no, notoriously known for uh, Albany Empire. So new faces, new places, builds more drama, builds more competition, and the only thing it will do is make that the muck more interesting um, than ever before. So right now we can say we have five caliber probably – six caliber teams in this league that can all make the playoffs at this moment over all the additions they have made over the last 72 hours uh, in, in this weekend. So entertaining football ahead for all of you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yes, I think so, in my opinion. All right. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I think that's about that about do it for this update here. I think, um, yep. I wanted to jump that in before we send that one out to you guys. But, uh, yeah, definitely would say keep keep track of our pages, and especially the NAL Transactions page. Um, we keep, we've, we've been hinted a lot that there, this is not done for the, for the week. It's going to be probably hectic like last week, but hopefully for a different sense. Uh, keep your eyes peeled. Should be fun. We'll uh, catch you on the other side, everybody. Covering all your favorite parts of the 50-yard fight. This is the Inside the Walls 